Voices of VR podcast. Hello, my name is Ken Bai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast. It's a podcast that's looking at the structures and forms of immersive storytelling and the future of spatial computing. You can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. Continuing on my series of looking at different immersive stories from Venice Immersive 2022, Today we'll be taking a deep dive into Eurydice, Descent into Affinity by Celine Daman. So this is a piece that is taking the myth of Eurydice and Orpheus and kind of doing a switch and swap around of that story. And you end up doing this walking down a spiral path in this way in which Eurydice is singing you this really beautiful opera song and for me it ends up being a lot of this embodied experience of walking around this space trying to chase and capture your dj and uh yeah in this piece there's a lot of different dimensions of both the embodied experience and the story and uh there's a lot of discussion that i have with celine of what parts of this piece worked for me what parts didn't and just to get a, a little bit more context of bringing in this theatrical insight into blending in different dimensions of opera and then having this embodied immersive experience and having these three different intersections of theater, immersive storytelling, as well as opera. So that's what we're covering on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. So this interview with Celine happened on Sunday, September 4th, 2022 at Venice Immersive in Venice, Italy. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. I'm uh, Celine Dame. I'm a director. I'm originally from perspective of theater I graduated in performative arts and then when I graduated four years ago I started making immersive work and I'm here on the festival presenting my work Eurydice a descent into infinity which is an immersive opera actually so it's still on kind of the crossover between those media yeah maybe you could give a bit more context as to your background and your journey into doing these type of VR and immersive storytelling pieces well I already like in school started experimenting mostly on immersive storytelling which for me also kind of arose from the combination of music and VR because it both touches an audience in such a direct sense like if you listen to music or listen to a song you can always like kind of feel like oh this song is really about me or the heartbreak that I'm going through or you kind of experience yourself within that song. And for me, that's what I found interesting in VR as well, that it somehow puts the audience at the center of it, making the audience experience themselves more than they experience, like a dramatic character or something like that. And so was this your first VR piece or have you created other works as well? This is kind of my fourth piece. But it's maybe a bit the first big one that I really bring out. What was the point where you started to get into VR? What was the catalyst that you decided that you wanted to start to get into this immersive media? I think in my graduation project, I built this box. It was like a three-sided box and it had like screens everywhere. So it was looking back, that might be like a primitive form of building a VR headset that the audience kind of had to go underneath it and put their head into this box. So I kind of grew into it. Like it wasn't at first a love at first sight with VR, but it was something that I slowly like came closer to just because of me being drawn to this idea of immersion. So it's not like a sudden thing that I decided that I wanted to get into it. So what was the catalyst for this project? Where did you begin with this as an idea or project? Mm, 
I think for me at the core of the project is the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, which is like a classical myth. We know a lot of different versions of it. It's been something that was always on my mind and I really was fascinated by that kind of place in the space after death, so somewhere between life and death maybe. It's an in-between space, which I thought was a very inspiring place to ask myself the question, is that place, is it something very intimate? Is it something that we come home to when we die? Or is it something that is very far from me as a human being? And it was a bit the question that we worked around and became kind of the core of the concept as well, that it might be a, like a paradoxical place somewhere that you are lured into, you really want to go there, like staring into this void that attracts you, but at the same time you also resist to this feeling of desire for that place. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of VR pieces that are really exploring this liminal space idea, different places that are the in-between places where you have a destination and a journey where you want to go, but then the places that you have to go that are in between there that you're just passing through, and so they're those in-between spaces. So I'm curious if you had looked at any liminal spaces or what was your research process to come up with an aesthetic for these in-between liminal spaces? Mm. Well, we've been experimenting a lot with VR and maybe also more specific point clouds to make this liminal space. I think it's something, like you said, it's something that by a lot of VR artists is touched, I think also because in VR there is a lot about immersion, right, like being there, but there is always the sense when being in VR of being still in this physical space, so you are kind of in a luminal space, so I think VR and this theme are very close friends. So we started experimenting with point clouds because it's all photogrammetry scans of reality that we made because it's still showing reality but also in a way that is not really to be touched anymore it's not not you cannot really reach it you are not really there but it, you are some kind of in-between worlds maybe you could talk a bit about the music and the opera as a part of this piece because it seems to be a pretty distinct part of the experience is the musicality of the piece and so talk a bit about the music and giving a voice to Eurydice through this opera mm-hmm. I wanted Eurydice to become a character that is kind of luring you into the nothingness or into the void. So I wanted to give her a very soul-like from within sound. So I asked a composer, Kate Moore, who's known for her very natural, timeless melodies that she's writing. And she wrote an infinite melody. So it's a melody that goes on and on and on. It has something meditative to it, maybe something that is attracting you and making you somehow lose grip of, of the feeling of time, somehow. But I combined this composer with another composer who made all the sound layers that you hear and also the spatial design of how this voice acts within the space. Because Eurydice is the kind of character that... She's always in the next room. You see her slip away into the door and you you follow her, but you can never really reach her. So we made this we made the spatial sound design where you also hear her like slip away all the time into this large world with a lot of very nuanced sound layers, but it's so much that you could never hear it in total. It's all these little sounds happening around you, like also nice bass sounds to really give this feeling of this underworld. And in that sense, almost the sound design is really 
a sound composition, not only giving you the feeling that you are in some kind of reality, but really drawing you in an experience. In that sense, like the sound design is really on the core of the experience layer of the piece. Yeah, yeah, I think the experience of that chasing or going after it worked quite well, gave a motivation to reach this destination. So it's like you are trying to reach something that it keeps getting pulled away. But I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about your inspiration from this myth of Orpheus and Eurydice and you know coming across this and maybe kind of elaborating on that myth as a starting point. Yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, the myth is maybe good to describe. It's an old myth in which Orpheus loses his lost love and his lost love. She steps on a snake, she dies, and he is so sad about that that he turns to the gods and asks them if he can get back his lost love from the underworld. He wants to go down there and get her back. And he does so by using his beautiful voice. He's a singer and a poet. And by using this melody and using his poetry, he convinces those gods. But they say to him, like, there is one thing, you cannot look back to her. She should just follow you and you have to not look at her until you reach the world again. And unfortunately, he does look back and he loses her forever. And then... There is this huge discussion going on when we tell this myth about why did he look back. Some people think like he just couldn't wait, he loves her so much he has to look back. Some people think he doesn't have the trust that she's truly following him. But no myth really asks what Eurydice thinks of this. Like The whole myth is kind of about Eurydice, but she doesn't really have a big part in it. She says mostly things like, oh no, Orpheus, what are you doing to me? <laughs> but she doesn't really have agency. And we wanted to give her back some agency and to kind of listen to her in the sense of what would Eurydice want? Is this a place maybe where she would also want to stay? So that was also kind of a starting point to ask what this place where she is would be like for her and to change around the story that Eurydice had to follow Orpheus out of this place. But the audience is kind of following Eurydice into this place. So it's kind of swapped around okay yeah so just to clarify from the myth and the experience so from the experience you're embodied as orpheus right and you're following eurydice but in the original myth eurydice is following orpheus so how does he look back and see her like because in the experience i am embodying orpheus following eurydice so she's in front of me and so what's it mean for him to be looking back in the myth because it doesn't make sense when I see your experience so I'm just trying to figure out what the myth is exactly now in the myth it's like he has to pick her up from the underworld and she is following him behind him and he cannot look back to her while they do so so she just has to follow him and he cannot look back to look at her to see if she's still following him so if he looks back then she kind of slips away into eternity again Okay, so in that version of the myth, it sounds like that Orpheus has to try to resist his temptation to look at her, and he does, and then he loses her forever, right? And then in this piece, you're following Eurydice, but you just follow her down into the bottom. And then, so yeah, I guess the original myth seems to be the theme of resisting instant gratification or to delay what your desires are. And so how do you take that core essence of what I take from that original myth into what themes you're exploring in this myth. Exactly. I think for me it's about what is human because you can also look at the looking back of Orpheus. Like 
why did he look back question, you can look at it like maybe he made the decision of a poet and that's the decision of also choosing to lose something or choosing the human quality of that. So we live in, in a reality in which things are in a constant process of evolving, ending, construction and deconstruction. Everything we know from the material world is passing by. So somehow that's also a very human or it's, it's something that is in the core of our human being. And I think that's interesting that he maybe also is trying to fight his human side by thinking I have this desire for this eternal love this desire for infinity kind of but at the same time you can ask yourself if this idea of an infinite soul is something that is human or is something that is a part of who we are and I think it's somewhere in between like the piece we made doesn't really take a stand in that I think there is this desire on the one hand and there is something very true to the human soul as well in infinity but there is also something that we are home in that is in the material world of ending and constructing and deconstructing and so i guess i'm, I'm trying to get the essence of the uh I'll, I'll share my experience of the piece because, you know, as I'm going into the piece, I'm going in and I see Eurydice and the floor and then I'm walking and I think I said in my wrap up that I'm pretty sure that this is the furthest I've ever walked in a VR experience. And I don't know if you have if you have any metrics of how long you have people walk through this space, but it was like a long, long, long time walking. And by the end of it, I really felt like I had gone in a whole journey and it was a descent. And so the environment around me was kind of like being forced down because I'm not actually walking downwards. And so you have to kind of trick it a little bit by being on a level surface as you're walking around, but you know, giving the visual impression that you're actually walking down. So there's a little bit of having to push down the world as you walk down, which can be a little bit of eye strain or fatigue or kind of motion sickness inducing to have like a disconnect between what's happening in the world from what I'm expecting and experiencing in my body versus what I'm seeing. And so it was a little disorienting in that way. But as I get through, I felt more viscerally embodied as an experience of taking this journey when I got to the end. But I didn't understand in the story what happened after I got to the end. It was a visceral embodied experience, but I didn't quite understand in terms of the story perspective of what happened when I actually got there. So when I hear the myth, I hear that it's all about Orpheus sort of looking backwards, but because Eurydice is in front of me, then there's this question of like, what is the story about then at that point? If you're doing these swapping, then what is the focus of what's the point after I get to that point, then what happens? So in the beginning scene, you see these two entities kind of part. So you, at first you arrive at the dead body of this young woman who is for us our Eurydice. And then she kind of bursts. So her skin bursts from her shadow, from her soul. And this singing shadow, she disappears into this doorway that you follow down your path. And then in the end scene, or actually way before that, even you keep losing kind of this infinite soul. You kind of lose track of her and get on a path that goes more uphill and you walk back to the beginning scene you you end up back at this door where light falls from this door and there you reach a water surface again the water surface of the beginning scene where you 
only see her skin left. So that's a bit like these two entities that parted, the infinite soul that we lost somewhere in this descent, somewhere in these depths and in this void we leave her behind. And we get back to only the material side of her, which we envisioned in a way that it's just a skin. It's like an empty skin that is flowing in the water. So it's only the material part of her that remains. So was I supposed to start to walk back upwards? Is that what you're saying? Because I kept walking downwards until the very end. I reached an ending that was down, but I was supposed to turn around and go back up? Not really, not really. Some people do, some people don't. In the end, they all kind of end up in the last scene, which I think is nice too. Uh, we build in a lot of freedom for the audience, so it's really their journey and not really the journey that I would <laughs> predict. That's like the tension, of course, when working on it. So, But you can either make this infinite descent and still just end up with only her skin left or you can start walking up. Like Some people do, some people don't. But in the end... For me, it was important that all paths lead back to only this material side, because I think like somehow in the, the middle part, people also due to the sound design get really a bit dizzied by all these voids and all these echoes hanging around you. So I do think like on an experience level, everybody feels like they get to a more quiet base in the end and they reach this point where only there is the skin, either if it's like upwards or downwards that's maybe the audience's choice where they end up okay okay that helps explain a little bit of what happened in the middle of the experience for me where i got a little confused because i was chasing eurydice around the corners and then it's looping and looping and looping and then and then it switches the architecture where there was a little bit of almost an impossible space i don't know if it was actually impossible but it was confusing as to which direction i should have been going because i no longer had eurydice as the pointer for where i should go so does Eurydice disappear in the middle for everybody and then you have to kind of make a choice as to whether or not you go up or down? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. Okay, so then I went down and got all the way down and part of the experience of that I had is that there's a little bit of a, a looping that's happening. And so visually, I'm basically seeing the same corners again and again and again. But what made it still interesting and engaging for me was the beautiful singing that I hear echoing in the background. And so it was for me, a little bit of a motivation of, okay, there isn't anything that's happening visually that's interesting in terms of like changing or dynamic. And I'm walking and walking and walking, but I want to know what happens once I find the ending and get to that point of hearing where the song was going. And then because of the shifting and losing Eurydice, I, I actually didn't know if it was broken or if I it was going up or down. I was sort of in this confused liminal space. And I don't know if that was part of the design to like have something clear and then have the audience be a little bit thrown out of like what they're expecting because there's a part of me that's like I don't know if this is broken I don't know if I'm going the right direction should I stop do I keep going is this ever going to end because it keeps repeating so uh, kind of in this state of confusion or frustration but also at the same time wanting to know how it's going to be resolved because I don't want to miss it so that's kind of like what my experience was near the end of the piece mm, yeah I like that there is a kind of not knowing where to go because I think like what I'm trying with the piece is to at first lead people through it so they really kind of feel mostly this desire of wanting to get closer to her so they start walking a lot like you said like some people even start running to get as deep as possible to descend as much as possible and then at one point I take away this character that kind of has drawn you in so you kind of 
focus more on yourself. We are very much like uh, tended to kind of give a lot of attention to this character that we follow. By taking her away, I hope that the experience is more on the being lost of the audience themselves, to kind of confront them with themselves. I hope in the end people go in following Eurydice, but go out finding something within themselves, kind of. It's a bit like what backpackers would do, like they go to some world that they haven't discovered yet, they get lost and in the end they find themselves. That's like these backpacking cliches that I think apply pretty well to what we are trying with Eurydice too. Yeah, I, one question I have is like how many levels are there to get to the bottom? Do you know how many loops they have to go to to sort of get all the way down to the bottom? I think we made, uh, it is using this system of impossible spaces, like the technical side of it, and there is like uh, four rings that are looping, but according to time, we, without the audiences notice the switch, we switch to the next phase. So there are four loops that you walk without you feeling that we switch to the next phase, but that's when the environment changes and when the soundscape they change into this next phase of the descending okay so as i'm remembering now i do remember that there was a almost a melting away of the point clouds is like there's point clouds that i can see what the structure is but it's kind of like falling down but as i progress down it's like falling down slowly so i guess that was another clue that there is some changing in the visual environment that is like i'm making some progress but how do you trigger from going from one phase to the next is it a matter of how many levels they go down or is it just a based of how long they're in there so if they just stood there for 10 minutes they could go down and, and still go down each of the phases so how do you trigger going from one phase to the next it's a hybrid form between that so there is a part of the visuals that is reacting on how much you descend and a part of it is according to how long you are in there so in the end the audience members we also play a lot for a theater audience you can imagine like that people we meet here on the VR island, they run down. But you can imagine that some people that are more used to go to classical opera, they walk very, very slowly. And in the end, we wanted to give all the audience members a full experience. So they all reach the same phases, but some just walk only four spaces and some walk 100 spaces, 10,000 <laughs> steps down the underworld, but they all kind of reach the same phases. Okay, I'm probably on the realm where I was doing a brisk walking, so I was probably 30, 40, 50, I don't know how many, I lost count, it, it was a lot. It was certainly a lot, so I, it's sort of interesting that I could have just stood there and I would have been able to see the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's the thing is like, there was four phases and as I'm going through each of those phases, there's like, anywhere between 10 or 20 levels that I'm going down for each of those four phases. So it feels like quite significant. And there was times that I just wanted to nope out. But the thing that was keeping me driving was the music that was so interesting, but also those phase shifts that happened every so often unpredictably. So I feel like that's a challenge in a piece like this is like, at what point is too much? And I don't know if you're tracking if people are quitting before they get to the end. But yeah, I guess that would be my feedback in terms of like, what is the sweet spot between having enough to give some of that lost feeling but not too much as to feel like it's just kind of like an endless infinite road to hell that we're kind of like recreating yeah yeah, yeah. i get that <laughs> yeah sure sure yeah it should definitely stay on the artistic side of that like i really try to make the 
experience that people have in the most artistic or that they really read it as a part of the experience. It shouldn't feel like it's like something that is not working. <laughs> well, the, I, I'm reminded of the subtitle, is it a journey into infinity, is that it? Uh, the subtitle is a descent into infinity. So yeah, a lot of it is really meant to happen, yeah. Okay, well, I guess I can vouch that it does feel like a descent into infinity, which <laughs> you can kind of uh, imagine that. So, and also the, like the four phases, I don't know, like maybe I, I wanted like six or seven phases, but quicker going between them because it felt like I was in one a lot and it got a little bit repetitive visually in that sense and not as interesting. But again, the thing that was keeping me going was seeing Eurydice and the music and those phase shifts. And so when Eurydice went away, I could still hear the music, but then the phases weren't working. That was when at the moment that I was like, okay, what is happening here? And then at the end, I felt like I wanted some sort of like, what was the resolution of what that was all about? Because it was a little bit unclear as to how that was being resolved once I got to the end. And so I guess like, can you explain again the ending? Because like when I got to the bottom, I didn't connect to the story, like the music had stopped and it's in opera. So I don't understand what the words are being said. And so when Orpheus gets down to the bottom and meets Eurydice again, then what happens in your story? So in my story, Orpheus, or actually the audience, like they are Orpheus, but they are mostly themselves. So they are just someone who has a certain desire to get to Eurydice. But in my story, the audience or Orpheus, they are led back to materiality, so to reality as we know it. And they are led back to only the skin of Eurydice. So you reach this point where it's a kind of memory to the first scene that you got into. So the first scene you saw Eurydice lay in, in the water, a bit like Ophelia. So she's a dead woman's body in a kind of pond. And then in the last scene you are again standing in this pond looking at her body, but then the body is empty. So the soul has left her. It's only the skin that is left there. Another part of this experience is that you have like a booklet that has a lot of information and explaining and maybe you could expand a little bit about the song that's being sung. I don't know if there's lyrics because when I'm in the midst of being in the experience, I don't understand the words, but maybe you could briefly explain what Eurydice is singing back to Orpheus as she's descending into infinity. Yeah, like you said, we also have this booklet, which indeed there is the libretto is written in there, the song text, or actually the translation of it, because it's all sung in Dutch. So uh, you didn't understand that. <laughs> uh, that's how most people experience it. We chose to not use subtitles within the experience because it would take away some of the very direct way of communicating of the music, because I think music is very good when you don't really need to hear the words to understand it, but it's still in there. But the things she is singing is, you just said like she's singing to Orpheus, but she's also singing to herself in a way because she sings to herself as also this parting of her metaphysical being and her physical being. So it's a very interesting text that was written by a poet, Charlotte van den Broek, and she uses words that are kind of passing by a bit. It's not a text like you should hear every word but it's this poem about the darkness and the coolness and she's trying to grasp where she's in and singing to herself to comfort herself maybe as well because it's a quite lonely poem I think she's in this space trying to make sense of it maybe 
Yeah, when, when I was watching all the different pieces in competition here and trying to figure out the center of gravity of what the experience for me, what I'm taking away, for me, this experience was much more about the embodied experience of taking this long journey and the environment that I'm in. And, you know, there's other elements there of the story, but like I said, there was a little confusion of interpreting what the story was because there's not a lot of written text to understand. And so it's all done through spatial metaphors of moving through the space and the music that's being sung, I can't quite understand. And so maybe people who are Dutch could maybe pick up a little bit more of those aspects. So there is an emotional quality there in terms of like the emotion of the song still is coming through. Like I can hear that there's this tenor of that and the other sound design. And also the fact that you're in this void-like space as you're walking down the point clouds and it creates a mood that is the liminal space. And then the agency is that like you're deciding where to walk. You do have some choices to make, whether you go up or down. And I did actually go up once, but I was like, I don't know if like, I want to go all the way back. I was like, I was like so then I was like, well, I should probably keep going into the place. And so there is in some ways a mental state of confusion or frustration or like being lost. That's probably one of the first times that I've been in a VR experience where it's like genuinely felt like I was a little bit lost. And so that's a unique design thing to achieve. But the agency was just the choice of where to go, but to decide to continue to go down. But all those things are part of it. But for me, the thing that I'm left with is sort of the embodied visceral experience. So I guess as I listen to you, there's a part of your design intention to create some of those lost feelings. So part of me is like, oh, I'm feeling lost or frustrated. And so there's a bit of like frustration, but then it's like, oh, you were trying to do that. So then it's like, okay, well, you're succeeding. So I'm like, there's this kind of moment of like the communication of what you're trying to do and what I'm experiencing. And so I'm just curious to hear as you hear me describe that if that's on point or if there's other things that you're also trying to do with the piece in that sense for me this is like a a huge compliment actually the way you describe it because for me there is a lot of layers actually in understanding a piece in this very direct way like in maybe normal opera it's very rational sometimes to talk about an opera like you have to understand what they are trying with it and I think it's unique in VR that that's not the case. It's this super direct experience of it, and the audience is always right in that sense. And in this experience level, there is a lot of nuance or a lot of layers to it that is, I think, very interesting and very personal for everyone. Like, we have had people in there who really are very emotionally touched as well and that's all about things that I could never predict as a director like I can hope for it but I can never predict the way that you experience it and of course I tried my best to (laughs) guide you and as I hear it that I succeeded quite well (laughs) Um, but at the same time I think it's so personal for everyone we've had people in there saying like oh I really have to think back of this time as a child I was very afraid of darkness because there is no end to this darkness or the black void like when your mom turned off the lights and you're lying in your bed you get afraid of the infinite space in your own bedroom like these associations they arise from a question that is quite universal or philosophical So also in this booklet, we describe a bit of these philosophical backgrounds. But at the same time, I think it's way more important that people experience it on this very close by level in, oh, I'm feeling a bit frustrated in this space. And in the end, that's like this personal association on a philosophical, very big question sometimes, but without the whole making it rational or making it very far away from people experiencing an art piece. 
Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I'll have to go back and do a real deep dive after having this conversation. But there's also one other part that I should also mention was the fact that I did get to the end. I didn't know if I was going to get to the end. And so there was this like not knowing of taking this long journey. And there was a bit of a satisfaction that I got to the end, that I did finish it to that point. I was able to see how it unfolded as you move forward. Have you thought about how you want to take the lessons that you've learned in a piece like this and kind of expand out or do something different or explore other themes within the medium of VR? Yes, definitely, definitely. I'm going to start with my new piece in two months. So I'm really happy to hear all these reactions now. Like I find always the most inspiring. Like At some point I develop some kind of critique on my own work and that's mostly the biggest inspiration for my next piece. And the next piece we're going to create, it's an apocalyptic opera. So it's again a combination with music because for me this match of opera and VR is like a match made in heaven. So we'll continue doing that but using all the reactions now of the audience again to keep searching for the perfect form of immersive storytelling for me. And then in a bit of a different context, but but maybe also it's still somehow the same themes. It will still be somehow about losing space and time, maybe getting lost a bit in this deconstruction of reality. And so maybe you could talk a bit about your relationship to opera and your introduction and journey with appreciating opera as a form, but also using it within your artwork. Yeah, like I said, I studied at a theater academy and I got this course in opera. And then for me, funnily enough, that was the first time I really felt like I was very touched by it. Although like opera, for a lot of people, it's quite distant or something. Like it's these people with these very big emotions. But funnily enough, in theater, like I didn't feel like it could touch me because I thought oh I'm listening to all these people with these with these problems fighting to their tears on the stage I I don't know it feels very far away or not very intimate and then in opera I felt like the tears themselves are something that spoke to me so it's in in music it's not about these references or these very intellectual things that they are communicating but it's the voice that is always so honest and so from within or from the soul that it immediately touches me if it's done right like <laughs> some operas can also be like very distant but for me in music this is done best and i at the same time found something in virtual reality that does the same that comes so close that it touches me in a very direct sense that if i stand on a balustrade and i look into a void it does something immediately to my body and this reaction that I have to it is so personal so intimate that nobody on a stage talking about their problems could ever touch me in the same way so that's why I really want to combine those ways of telling a story that it's almost not about telling a story but it's about experiencing it being a part of it in the most direct way possible yeah, there are a number of times that I would stop and look over the edge and look down and peer into the void. So using the point cloud representation to kind of give that sense that it just disappears at some point, but it keeps going and going and going. And no matter how far I was going down through all the phases, it would still be an infinite void, which was sort of like, oh, not, I don't seem to be any closer to the bottom. So it was a relief that I actually did reach the end because it was like there's no other environmental cues that I was getting close. But yeah, that's interesting because 
like if you imagine how opera is usually presented, it's people sitting in a proscenium stage and they're listening to it. But to be able to use the medium of VR, to use the spatial affordances, to still use the the emotional quality of what happens in opera with how it fits in the larger genre of music of being able to communicate with the voice in a very specific emotional way to translate that into rather than people sitting in a seat and passively consuming it, they're actively engaging their body. So what are the different affordances of both the environmental design can you do, but also what you're doing with your body to be able to engage and match. And I would be curious to see as opera goes through different phases, like a person's capacity to go through an entire opera performance through a variety of different spatial experiences and embodied experiences as they go through. So it sounds like that's an area that you're interested in exploring. Yes, definitely, definitely. I think it's weird that we kind of forgot about the body for such a long time with just putting people on a chair and with only like reaching that's already also only reaching the head of people I think like the rational part of it but I think the body is something that is much more connected also to this emotional experience and indeed giving people this very physical experience of the opera is such an interesting field having people descend like you said this descent is really something that you experience within your body so if you come back to reality it's something that you've been through with your entire body with your tummy that feels a bit like whoa where have i been and and that's such a like i said such a nuanced and personal and intimate experience that i'm really interested in that yeah Right. And, uh, and finally, what do you think the ultimate potential of virtual reality and immersive storytelling and opera might be and what it might be able to enable? Well, I hope that it will be a way to get also to the audience in this very intuitive, soul-like field or to touch them in this way that we just talked about. Is For me, I hope that we will get there. And at the same time, I also feel like in VR we really have to think about what are the stories that we want to tell and what are the visuals that we are creating because sometimes I feel like it's also very hard in VR to make something that is about this very intimate and human themes because it's also really hard to create that sometimes in VR but I think the virtual space is also something that is quite close to it because it's this space where you cannot really grasp stuff and you it's very close to the consciousness or something or the dreamlike world so i think we should try really hard to make vr a space that is this very interesting intimate human place and i hope that we will make more experiences that touch us in that way right and is there anything else that's left unsaid that you'd like to say to the broader immersive community I think we covered it quite well. Yeah, I'm really curious to show the piece to more people. I'm really looking forward to meet the community more. It's like also a bit my first, because we're presenting a lot in theater festivals and like my network. So it's really my kind of first step into this world, which is very, very interesting to meet people that are like in the same materials that I am. So it's really nice. Awesome. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it goes out to the theater community and potentially beyond, yeah. And uh, thanks for joining me here today on the podcast to help unpack this Eurydice descent into infinity. So thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Celine Dahman. She's creator of Eurydice Descent into Infinity. 
So if you want more context for the wrap-ups, then I'd recommend checking out the episode 1,121, where I talk about all the 30 pieces in competition. And in episode 1,144, there's an immersive panel that I did at Venice with some other immersive critics talking about the art of reviewing immersive art and immersive entertainment. Recommend checking that out in order to dig into a little bit of my own process of what I'm trying to do with these larger series and trying to unpack and discuss the art and science of immersive storytelling with a lot of these different pieces that we're showing at Venice Immersive 2022. So that's all that I have for today. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, and please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a listen-supported podcast. And so I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue to bring you this coverage. So you can become a member and donate today at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.